If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Now today we're going to introduce Joe. We're not even introducing Joe. Joe's come back on before. You know, we talked about a lot of things. Getting the canter right is more important than getting the jumping height right. I think pretty much characterises Joe. you know, really insisting on quality. And she's worked for a couple of top stables, top eventers, top dressage competitors. And we're going to talk about feeding. So this is a little bit more than nutrition. It's about 10 points on feeding horses and Getting down to the basics, I think, you know, if you've got a pony or um, if you've got a top competition horse, you sort of nose away all the way through. So how are you today, Joe? I'm good, thank you, Glenis. Yeah, good to be back. Yeah, good to have you thank back, Joe. And this this whole thing about the points on feeding horses, it's going to be good because you've got such a big background in and we're not talking about one specific type of horse, but you know, talking about feeding horses all the way through. So why this one? Do you feel there's a bit of a lack in the industry about feeding? Yes. Um, actually, I, I kept coming back to my Pony Club manual, which had the rules of feeding, and that was something we grew up with. And I feel, particularly in this day and age, all around the world, there are so many really good scientific nutritionalists that people have a lot of scientific knowledge out there but maybe the actual basics and you sometimes find this that the real root basics feed, feeding rules get missed and I think my concern was that it's it's those very basic things that actually maybe science and nutrition assume people know that might get left out especially in the future and I thought well I couldn't possibly compete with the science on that level. I go to someone who advises me. But the basic rules are definitely something that I could bring in from experience and um, studies and everything along the way over the last, gosh, how many decades? Mm, mm. Look, there's been so much research into science, not just feeding and nutrition, but so many other areas, particularly horse welfare, um, that that the scientists really are specialists and the scientists, you know, if we sort of divide everyone up into a year, either a scientist or a practitioner, if you're a specialist, you know, as practitioners rely on the scientists, but the scientists also rely on the practitioners. So, you know, they sort of go hand in hand, but overall hand in hand to make it a better life for the horses. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's it, just sort of bringing in all different angles. And like you said Mm. as well, something that can apply to the person with, a little pony out in the paddock yes. or someone competing or riding club or top level or all sorts of different outlooks that they can apply things to. Mm, mm. And um, if there's anything from this they can add, then that's all well and good. Great. So our first point is about an initial feeding quantity guide. So what would you say there, you know, just as a guide? Because, you know, with all our listeners, we're going to have a wide variety of listeners from the smallest ponies to the biggest horses. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, 
What I've been using more over the last few years is that you take a percentage of the horse's body weight. Mm -hmm. Not everybody has had their pony or their horse weighed. It is actually, if you've got a friendly vet, it's quite easy. If you happen to be traveling near your vet, I pop in, doesn't charge me, and they let me put it on the, the horse on the weight scale, which is really helpful to knowing exactly what their weight is because up till then I was using a weight tape and getting mm. an estimate is fine. I think the weight tapes sometimes bring them up a bit high. And a good range is to look at your, your whole feed. That means your grass and your hay and your feed should be 2.5% of their body weight. Now, some people say 2%, some say 2.5%. I think it's, it's a broad enough guideline. So if I've got a... I've got a 550 kg horse, and 2.5% is 13.75, or 2% is 11 k kilo. Yep. So that's how much I need to be feeding in feed weight over 24 hours. And then I'm looking at that. Actually, you have to look at your grazing because I know when I was based in England, really rich grazing could give you which was 10 pounds, that would have been five or six kilo or maybe more of your daily intake. So you have to assess if your horse is in the stable overnight, if it's grazing. I've got very sparse grazing over here. I would hardly include it in weight in the feeds. It's picking. It's more for a little bit of picking during the day. There's very little weight to it. So those sort of things need to come in. And I think it's really important that you weigh your feed, you weigh your chaff, you weigh your feed, you weigh your hay. It's very easy to do. We've got an old trellis down in the paddocks. We don't have a barn. We don't have a stable. So I've got a trellis and I bought a little weigh scale and I hang that on a piece of binder twine on there and I put my hay in a chaff bag and I slip it on the scale and I know if I'm feeding two kilo, three kilo. And it's, it really helps because before you know it, you can have four kilo in that bag. Yeah. When you've weighed up that you only want to give two and a half kilo in the morning and two and a half kilo at night. And it makes a big difference. You can you can buy big bells, small bells, know your weight, know how long, know how long they're going to last, mm-hmm. things like that. So weighing is a really good – it's a good habit to get into. And yep. it was actually a friend and nutritionalist who's very scientific, and she drummed into me. You've got to get back to weighing. Yep. And the type of feed I was using required weighing. And now I do it. I, yep. I weigh the feed up here on scales and I weigh the hay down at the paddocks mm-hmm. on hanging scales. Yes, and the hanging scales aren't expensive either. Oh, no. Mm. I picked one up for, I think it was $5. Yeah, yeah. And we're always looking for a way to do things inexpensively so that the money can go into the right areas of the horses. That's right. Rather than than wasting it. And you never you never have endless money. You've just got to be careful. Mm, mm. But it has actually helped my balancing my hay intake. We've got six horses here and we've had a real big shortage of hay this year and cost a fortune. Yes. And I can say, okay, a big hay block is four, five hundred kg and I know how long it will last. And if mm-hmm. it's not lasting that long, I'm feeding too much. And uh, so I can weigh up what they need. And I work out the weight I weigh the chaff, and then I know what a big scoop is, and I weigh the feed, and I've worked out in advance that particular size of horses, uh, write it down on a chart or uh, put a board up, 
one of those that you can rub off and alter by your feed, and then you know exactly what each horse is getting. Mm-hmm. And you may have good doers and others that need slightly more. Um, a good doer might have a little bit less. So I probably don't feed 2.5. I think at this time I'm probably more like 2% okay. push, but, okay. but then I watch them to see how they're doing Yes, as well. Yep. Now the next thing you're saying about fresh water. Do you feed it before feed, after feed, all the time? What do you think is the best way? Okay, it's the the rule of feeding is always always water before feeding, mm-hmm. and it was something that was so natural. We always knew that you give water before feed because you might have been in circumstances where there wasn't fresh water readily available, but that can still happen at a show or a competition. So always provide the horse with fresh water before you give it the feed it get the water into the system moisturize the gut mm-hmm. make sure the horse is fully rehydrated but I think also there were a couple of notes and put for myself to mention was there may be fresh water available in the paddock but I've been to yards and I've been to adjustment and that way there's green scum growing on them and I tend to say I always, I check the water daily, absolutely, without a doubt, that there's fresh water still available, that there's not a bird floating in it or a mouse or something off the paddock. Yep. And I empty it, scrub it out and refill it. And I tend to do that probably every couple of days. Mm-hmm. Mine actually have just, they're the big blue tubs that you can get, the big blue barrels, the plastic, and you cut them in half and you can create two 50-litre water holders. And we have those in our paddock. And they're easy to manage. We've got a hose. We can empty. I can tip it up. I can scrub it out with an old brush and I can fill it up. And I find they they drop their hay in it and sometimes they feed in it. And that's fermenting and creating bacteria. And I want that out. I don't want that to build up and and make sure the water's really fresh and clean. Mm -hmm. There was something else I thought on, just on water was, you've got automated systems and you've got water available in paddocks, in stables. You've actually got no idea how much the horses are drinking. And although that's good, you also don't know when you've got problems in the piping. You know, when you get a build-up of some sort of thing in the piping that you want cleaning out. But having a tub that you fill a lot of the time, you can actually say, my horse has drunk 20 litres today. After a competition, he's drunk 30 litres today. And that I find really helpful because then I know instantly when one isn't drinking. Yep. And I can say, you've got a problem and I need to find a way to get them drinking. Yep. And, and water's just the most important thing. Mm, mm, that's good. Tell us about the quality and what we should be looking for and where it should be stored as well. Okay. Um, like you said, you know, coming from all different angles, feed should be stored somewhere dry yep. and cool. Our house can get up to 30-odd degrees in the summer. We pick a cool – we actually have it – we have some feeds in the office because we don't have a shed or a barn. We do have a little, a little tiny bunning shed down here. That gets really hot. So that can actually escalate to nearly 40 degrees in the summer. I wouldn't be putting my feeds in there. So quite often you put them in a bin and it could be a tin 
um, a metal feeding bin. If people have got a stable or a yard, that's good, a metal feeding bin in there. But you've, you've got a bit of a problem with that. If you empty feed into it, you get debris of old feed at the bottom. Mm. And if for any reason you get damp in there, so you've got to choose whether do you put the feed in in the bag and then finish the bag, take it out, and put a fresh bag in. You've got to watch the bottom of those feeders that you don't get any damp from condensation. Mm-hmm. Once feed gets damp, it can damage and change the feed. And uh, I recently had to send a bag back that had lumped in the feed of very hard, big lumps, almost the size of the palm of my hand, where feed obviously in transit or storage had got damp somewhere mm-hmm. in the bag. Yep, yep. And it had created lumps, which I don't want to be giving my horse. So nice. I had to throw those away. And then, you know, um, I think having the bags cool enough and dry, cool and dry, and then you can choose where and how you're going to store them. Like I said, I, I have a few bags that we build up in the office. This is a very dry feed. And we pop them out into a bin that's under the eaves of the house where we feed them. And that bag is probably replaced. And then you've got your sell-by date. So every feed has a sell-by date. And you want to check that the feeds haven't been sitting beyond the sell-by date. And you can always talk to the feed store if you're worried and and say, look, I've just read a sell-by date on this and I'm a bit worried about it. Mm -hmm. And see what they say. They might replace it or something like that. Just make sure it's best quality at all times. Yep, yep. Now, we talk about roughage. And, and, you know, you talked a little bit before about the grazing, but what is roughage? How often and what options are there? Okay. I I think of my roughage as my chaff and my hay. Yep. And it's fibre, fibre content. So although the natural way for a horse is to graze grass, that's its natural method, and in a natural environment, a horse would be grazing all day long. They'd have periods of rest and they'd go and have a drink and they'd come back, but they'd be grazing all day long. So there'd be a constant flow of grass going through all the digestive organs and they'd constantly be, be filled. But when we put a horse in a stable or we take it to a competition, you can sometimes get spells when the horse isn't eating and you're going to get time, which is a bit of a a danger for the horse's gut. The horse's gut is designed to be constantly grazing. So we feed hay because either we're stabling or we're traveling or we haven't got enough grazing. We like to add a bit more. So hay is the roughage that we would feed. And then you've got to choose what sort of hay you're feeding. And there's little things like when you're traveling, a horse with a hay net when traveling could be picking at that and they constantly then get the fibers in the stomach. That's a really good ulcer protection. But they don't get long periods with acid forming in the stomach and nothing to soak it up and pass it through. And colic, twisted gut, can typically be caused by long periods of time when the gut is empty and the gut isn't designed to be empty. Also, I think uh, what you feel, Glenn, is fibre slows down digestion and 
It also takes more of the digestion into the hind gut, which is better for horses. Mm-hmm. When uh, racing horses are fed lots of oats and grains, it's very hot feed, it digests in the stomach, it can produce a lot of acid, it's quick digesting, then you get this, this sort of mix up in the body chemistry. Whereas the right amount of roughage going through slows down and digests further down in the gut and doesn't produce that sort of effect. It's much more natural. It's much more designed for the horse's gut. So the wave of, of nutrition, science, and everything has, has gradually gone back to we need higher fiber seeds that are better designed for the horse, that are slower, slower release of energy, and protect the hind gut from damage from acids okay. as well. And it helps with the temperament of the horse and, and the general well-being to keep them well. I know you've worked with some top com- – and, and yourself, you know, I mean, you're out there and you're competing and, you you know, you've always sort of done things yourself. But when we talk about feed according to work done, talk to us a little bit about that and um, yeah, give us a bit more information about that comment. Okay. I think – First of all, you've worked out what 2.5% or 2% of your horse's body weight is, say maybe at, for instance, 12 kilo a day or or 10 kilo a day. And if your horse is out of work, for instance, you don't want to be feeding high energy feed. You So you have this percentage and you say, a horse in really, really hard work, I mean, could be three-day eventing or something, is going to have much higher percentage of energy-producing fuel and a lesser percentage of um, possibly a lesser percentage of grazing or hay. To get the balance, the percentage of the energy-producing feed goes up. And the more relaxed feeding percentage goes down. But then when a horse is on total rest, the other end of the scale, really they're only on high fiber, which could be grass and hay, and you don't want to add any energy-producing feed. So you've got to work out somewhere in the middle because someone might say, oh, well, you know, this, this bag of feed, this is the weight you've got to feed your horse if it's in light work. But what is light work? Do you feed it? And you working two days a week, we working five days a week. And then all of a sudden you've got a regime and you've got a balance and suddenly your horse has an injury and they're off for three weeks. Mm. And I'll tell you a little story actually, if you don't mind. It sure. was, um, I went to pick up his horse, but uh, a friend of mine had bought, it's been a, a show jumper, it was big, big fiery chestnut. And, and this guy... He'd had a bit of a problem with it, and he'd had an injury, and he put it in the stable. Then he said, we're having real problems with it. Can I bring it over to your place? So I went and had a look, and the horse had been shut in the stable. This was in England for three weeks, not even walked in hand, and he was being fed top-quality competition. Oh, no. no. (laughs) (laughs) So he had, you know, they knew that the bag said this is what he requires, and they fed how many pounds of feed that was at the time. And he had his hay nets, which was quite a high um, equivalent to our loosened, quite sort of energy producing. 
And he was waving at the stable door back and forth, and they said, we can't handle him. And I went, ooh, right. So they wanted me to take him over to my place and have him for a few weeks to work. And the the only way, to be honest, Glenis, I could do it was I tacked him up, Ooh. I got on, and I trotted him seven miles. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it, it was a little bit risky. I, I'm not a fan of lots and lots of lunging with a horse in that state. It's probably going to gallop around and injure itself. I had back lanes and quiet areas, and I got on and was being a bit brave, but I rode it. And I had to ride this feed out for about three days. Mm. So there, there was an old horse expert said to me, you need to do 18 miles before they settle in. So I, for the next three days, I was just trotting out it. This actually wasn't an injury that would have affected. Had it been some other injuries, the horse would have to come and walk in. Sure. Um, and, you know, you wouldn't be able to do that if you'd had a tendon or a, a leg injury. This one had had a, a wound on the side, wasn't able to come out. Um, but the fact was it had competition mix and it was shut in the stable for mm. three weeks. Nobody lowered the feed and gradually, that's the thing, it's got to be done gradually. Like yep. Over yep. a time, reduce the feed and increase the fibre until the point where the horse was just on a hay net. And then my policy is to walk them out in hand. You walk them out. If you feel, you know, hopefully it feels safe to be able to do that, you could walk out in a bridle. Mm-hmm. But walk them out or um, one of these pressure halters that has like the Monty halter, which mm-hmm. can help you when a horse is a bit fiery. Yep. Um, and give them daily walking when in box rest, if they're able to do that. Uh, there's so many different situations. And that whole locking a horse up in a stable for three weeks and giving it a competition mix, really, it's lack of knowledge, isn't it? That's why we've got to spread the word. And just these simple little yeah. things that you're telling me and I'm saying, oh, wow, that he would have been a handful. But that's just simple. We think it's common sense, but sometimes people don't realise that, that you really do need to feed according to work done. And I think that is, like you say, it's lack of knowledge. It's no... It's no sin. It's, we had it drummed into it, you know, pony club and exams, and and it was drummed into you, so you heard all this. Mm. But in the leisure industry now, people are buying horses and taking them to adjustment yards, and everybody there's got an opinion, and it's it's really hard for them to because they haven't got all that basis of knowledge. That um, I I had a lady Dan. We were on a riding course, and she came down with a bag of carrots. And she said, oh, can I give the horses carrots? And she was quite an experienced horsewoman. She cut the carrots short-wise. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yep. Now, we know that. Sure. I mean, she's very experienced, and they were all very experienced, but Mm. none of them knew that Mm. you shouldn't feed a carrot cut that way because it would cause a choke and jam in the the, the gullet. it's those things I see and I think, um, actually, they just don't know that you always cut your carrots longwise and until they've seen a choke happen, yes. don't learn it. And you, you know, so I think these podcasts and things, getting getting all this information out is really useful yeah. for yeah. all the leisure riders that, um, and they may suddenly hit on something and go, oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Or yes. I didn't realise that I was at a competition last week, but you got a horse might tie up, an old Monday morning disease. 
mm-hmm. heavy work over the weekend and then high fuel the next day. Yep. You can change feeds very slightly and give a little bit more fiber and a little less energy feeding gradually yeah. and really protect the horse from um, conditions such as azotaria or explosive nature, temperament issues, um, safety when riding, and uh, general health. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, it'd be good for listeners to go out and research this a bit and have a think about it and think about what you're feeding and are you going to raise the fibre while your horse has a spell for a month because you're going on holiday? How are you going to adjust the feed? Yeah. To that, and how gradually you're going to bring it back in as you get them fit again. Yes, so I, yes. I, I sort of think encouragement for people to go and think about it, research, find out more. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book imagine maybe one day you could be a guest on horse chats and i think as part of that research you're right you know i mean the podcasts are great and i think they're very good because you can do it as an addition to other things you know you don't have to turn off everything and sit down and study a podcast a podcast you put on your headphones you you know you go out you muck out your paddock you're driving you you know you're walking you you're doing stuff cleaning gear and you can still keep listening to podcasts and I think that's just the nature of I suppose the world that we're in that we don't have that silence anymore we can have something going on in the background and I think this is how people can achieve lots of things they can learn more about horses Get out there, do it. But the time is a little different now than what it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it almost means we have to manage time a bit better, doesn't mm, it? Because mm, don't you find mm. it? Um, I find I've got my phone there and I can stop and Google, yep. research something yep. immediately. My farrier mentions something. I'm on the phone. I'm Googling. Checking it out. Don't exactly. Mm. <laughs> and, and, um, but, yeah, finding the information yep. and taking it a bit further. And, like, it's not set in stone what I'm saying. This is. Oh, I think they're pretty good points, yeah, yeah. And I think also, too, if people come in with an idea that they're going to be open in their learning, that they don't have to um, have something that's set in stone, but they can take lots and lots of information from well-qualified professionals, not just from you know, someone who jumps on social media with a personal opinion, but well-qualified professionals like yourself. And I think everyone's going to have a different opinion because of their experience. But if you keep getting well-qualified professionals and getting their opinion, they're the ones really to listen to. Just to finish that, there used to be a a percentage. You you used to say, like, a horse in light work would have 80% fibre, 20% feed if it needed Mm -hmm. feed, or 100% fibre to zero and then gradually the percentage till you get a horse in fairly medium work would be 50 50 yep and then as they get into really fast work it might become 
60, 40, 60 energy producing. The only thing I just want to add briefly is now there are feeds coming out that are balancers and high fiber feeds. And that has changed that quite considerably, whereas the bulk of the whole feed, even though the horse is eventing and hard work racing, is actually more fibre-based and this mm-hmm. is the way science has gone. And it's changed that a bit because we don't have so many hot feeds. Um, it's a really good way to go. It yeah. really, really is. It helps the horses into much better yeah. um, health all round. Well, we've got the next one as um, feeding little and often. And I know you said something about a succulent daily earlier on, but the little and often, why do we feed little and often? What's the rule behind that? You know, it's not just you're saying a whole lot of things that these are the tips to follow. I like the way that you explain why. Why do we do little and often? All right. Well, the horse has only got a very small stomach. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of people don't realise don't know, what was it, a couple of litres? I can't remember offhand. The horse's stomach is amazingly small. They are a flight creature. So they're designed so they'd be out in the world, they'd be grazing, and then suddenly they'd be scared by something and they could gallop for a mile to get away. Now, if they had a really full stomach, they're going to have a problem because a horse can't be sick. So um, the stomach is a very small stomach and if you feed too too much all at once you're going to overload the stomach and undigested feed is going to be pushed into the small intestine and it's not the way the horse is designed but I do meet a lot of people along the way who say I've got my horse shut up because they get laminitis and I give them one feed a day and I'm like panic (laughs) (laughs) no because we might do that to ourselves and it's not even good for us we're better when we have breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner. But some people don't eat in the day and they come back and they have one feed and one meal, but that's not what suits a horse's body and digestive system at all, and it can be really dangerous. So like we said before, they need to have fibre travelling through their stomach to small intestine to large intestine throughout the day and night. And... If we have them off feed and then suddenly give them one feed, we've got one amount of feed going through it and then we've got gaps and you've got problems, you've got colic. and it just it, A lot of things don't work properly. So splitting that feed into two feeds a day means you get a smaller feed for the horse and they've got more feed travelling through. And if I go to a competition... I usually split that into three feeds. So we're working full-time away. We don't work with our horses at home. I'm away. I can only manage two feeds in the day, in the morning and at night. And that makes it a bit more little and often. Then we've got grazing and they get hay. And it spreads the feed out so that the digestive system operates a lot better. Okay. And that's really always been a rule of feeding, little and often. Mm-hmm. And something succulent, generally a bit of grass, a bit of grazing is a succulent. If a horse is stable and they go out in the day, that means they're getting something. Or you can, if it suits them, you can add some carrots, chopped long ways, and um, maybe some chopped up apples. Not that often, just every now and then, just keep them interested, keep them happy. And, and 
if you see their faces when they know the carrots in the bowl, they're like, way, and they go straight for the carrot, and and they enjoy that. Um, the other thing about I think feeding little and often is you get to check the horses more often, and it makes a point of checking. You go down in the morning and you give you're giving a small feed and doing the hay. I see the legs, I see the feet, and I see the back, I see the rug. And they get used to coming and being checked. And you, you can pick up on wounds and injuries a lot quicker. Okay. Good. Good. Now, I know you've worked with a variety of horses, but just to do with managing younger and older horses. And we talked a little bit about the injury and the time off, you know, when you, you told me about trotting the, the seven miles home, but the managing and the, the younger and the older horses. Tell us a little bit about how we manage them differently. Well, this is where I've, um, I seek advice from feed uh, nutritionists and professionals as to what sort of amount of protein is needed. But generally, younger horses and older horses need a higher protein mm-hmm. level. The younger horse is growing, and the older horse needs it for repair. So the higher protein provides that. Also, with older horses, quite often they need oils in their feed are very good. And you can buy a senior feed that is designed to do that. or I, I still find if I'm giving chaff, I can give some pride biomare is quite a high. It's actually a breeding feed. It's got a higher protein to my old 27-year-old. Keeps him in really good condition. And he's got a lot of wear and tear and joints and bones and skin. You know, it just requires more nutrition. Whereas if you see people, they sort of put their older horse out in the paddock, well, I don't feed him anymore because he's old and he's not working anymore. He might actually be the one that really needs feed more than some of the others that are having a rest. Okay. And the younger ones, essentially, we've got two, um, two three-year-old Andalusians. They're growing like crazy. And I've been advised, keep the nutrition up, really keep the nutrition mm-hmm. up. And I, I feed loosen for protein, so I know that, but you don't want to overfeed the protein. I talk to someone, I get advice on how to balance calcium-phosphorus ratio for them so they get all the right nutrients. Um, and the old horse, I do find the, not just your competition horse or your riding horse, but your older horse that's retired often requires electrolytes in okay. the summer. Yep. They... They, they find it a lot harder to rehydrate and their body's wearing out. And I find the older horses require a certain amount of electrolyte, but too much overloads the, um, the liver and kidneys. I find there's sort of fine balance with them. Mm-hmm. So little things like that, and I sort of watch them as to how they're doing. And you give a bit of electrolyte, you see them perk up. You think, yeah, they were getting a bit low there. Well, they needed okay. they needed that yes. because the weather's yes. been hot. And uh, but I think the protein being the main issue. And like you said, what we were talking about in injury time. Um, yeah, it depends what's going on there. So there's a higher roughage diet. We live in England. You have haylage, and you're, you get haylage, which is lovely moist hair that you give them. They, they 
respiratory problem, something mm-hmm. like that. It's really good for, for illness. And um, I, I know, for instance, IRT, when they're um, international racehorse transport, when they're transporting horses by plane abroad, they always have haylage. Yep. And okay. it's their staple feed that they mm-hmm. supply on plane mm-hmm. to transport horses. Anyway. I'm just thinking there's a lot that we're sort of talking, you know, electrolytes and haylage, and we could even go into talking about, you know, all of the different types. But we're going to move on and talk now about weight building and weight loss and how we can do that and how we can get that balance right. Okay. Well, I've actually, I've changed my opinion over the last few years, and I'm now feeding feed balances, Mm -hmm. which... um, I add to chaff, and uh, they're supplied by many different companies, and they have all the nutrients in them. And for the first time, what I find is they actually help the horse find its true, correct balance of weight. And I don't seem to get problems with overweight or underweight anymore. But each horse is different. Each breed is different. Say, for instance, a lot of thoroughbreds will lose weight in cold weather or in hard work. Mm-hmm. So they probably need building up a bit. So ways and means of getting weight on them. You could find there's a feed without getting into all the different types. There are particular types of feed that are really for weight building. Um, one, true gain, high gain, that's a terrific weight builder. If you give it to the wrong horse and they'll be going around the paddock like an absolute idiot and cause an injury. So Really got to watch them and find out what works for the yep. horse. Yep. Um, I think the, the bringing on the weight building and weight gain is, is including oils into the feed, oils and fats into the feed that mm-hmm. that can produce that. Then you've got weight loss, and I think that's a very difficult area, which is why I like the balances now, because they actually don't add weight. What they do is help the horse utilise the roughage, the hay, to its absolute peak performance. So they actually get more out of their hay because of the balancer. Okay. So I'm finding my hay goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And um, the balancer keeps all the nutrients in the body in the correct balance. Yep. And then I can use oil for more energy. And part of that is because Anyway, I'll, I'll mention later is energy balance. Energy balance is everything, and, yeah. and that's one of the most important things. So weight gain can be quite dangerous. Mm-hmm. It can be unhealthy, bad on arthritic joints, um, excessive energy, not good for the body to have big areas of fatty deposit, especially around all the organs inside the body. So the thing is not to suddenly starve them, but to reduce them onto a cooler roughage. Uh, there are cooler hays like Teff and Rhodes hay, which can keep the roughage going through the digestive system but not add weight. And they'd be the way to go to keep that feed going through little and often okay. without adding lots of weight onto the horse, depending whether they're in work. And a, a lot of ponies would actually do light work quite happily on simply test hay. Okay. Without good. a lot of feed, but just with a balance of the nutrients. 
I'm just thinking about the points that you've given, you know, like you've given quite a lot of the old ones, but you've explained them. You know, you've given a lot more depth and you've talked about why. So they're not just a list of, you know, rules of feeding horses, but one you've got now, you're talking and this in the older books, this one wouldn't have come up. And this has got to reflect a lot more on the work that the scientists have been doing. And that's the ulcer management and the hindgut health, because there's been a lot more research done in recent years, hasn't there, about the the ulcer management, the hindgut health. Can you just explain about, you know, just briefly, you know, the ulcer management, the hindgut health, what's brought that on, you know, the research and how have we found that our feeding has contributed to this? Just talk to us a little bit about that. So I found that what, what happened is there has been a gradual understanding of actually temperament issues, finding that horses were... Um, of a bad temperament, grouchy, difficult under saddle, difficult to girth, explosive temperament that were actually related to ulcers and they were found uh, in goats. And there's other ways of testing pressure points that um, people have developed that you can see if a horse has probably got ulcers. You don't actually have to go to a vet clinic and have the horse scope. So ulcers are produced by too much acid going through the stomach and the gut and the digestive lining of the stomach and also in the hindgut is damaged. So very, very fine lining and ulcers are produced that are very painful and too much acid going through the gut can produce I won't go too much into the scientific because I think people, again, can research that and mm, find out. Mm. And a lot of people are aware of what a human ulcer is. It can be caused by stress, but stress produces acids and acids produce ulcers. So there's been a wave towards increasing the fibre in the feed, feeding essentially the old rule little and often, keeping the, the percentage of the Energy feed versus the fiber feed, it more towards fiber on lower um, lower energy. And even in higher levels of competing, they're introducing more fiber energy into the feeds to have a slower release of energy to improve the temperament, to protect the horse from ulcers. Mm-hmm. So ulcers can occur through stress and traveling. Yep. Where we live, we might have to travel five, six hours to get you know, in Sydney, you've got long distance and you've got a horse standing in a box that um, creates a stressful situation. So stopping frequently and I find when I pull up and stop, my horse might not have been eating its hay net, but then he suddenly starts picking at it. <laughs> I might offer a bowl of chaff dampened with a little bit of balancer in while I'm stopping at the servo and put something in the stomach. It's not harmful to put a small amount of 500 grams of chaff with a bit of balancer and lots of moisture. Yeah. So I get the moisture into the horses like that. Or they, while I stop and I, I skip out dropping off of the water, first of all, for the self and water, and um, then I... They may be picking at the hay net. But the thing is to have a hay net in the float and or your trailer and so that they can pick and then these fibers mop up the acid in the stomach and they create 
less stressful environment. I travelled to a competition about five hours north. This was a few years ago. And my horse, he stressed in the float and he didn't eat. And this was his own anxiety. And he didn't eat for the five hours. And I didn't stop and give little feeds. I did stop and I offered water, Mm -hmm. but he didn't really eat. We got to the competition and I had three days there of absolutely awful temperament. And he wouldn't eat properly when he was there, which was really unusual. So he'd probably developed a really acid condition in his stomach. And and when he got there, he couldn't eat properly. It was uncomfortable and he became erratic. Yep. And he would he would have been in pain. Yep. So yep. something like haylage is really good because horses love haylage. It's very tempting. And they will pick at it if they can get half a chance. And stopping from travel. This has come up again, Joe. You'll have to talk about haylage because some people haven't experienced haylage and, and just briefly yeah. describe haylage. Yeah. I miss it greatly because I, I can't seem to find it here in Australia. I had it a lot in England. And it's, uh, I don't even know the science now. It's a it's a more moist version. It's it's nothing like silage. It's not fermented hay, but it, it's captured and sealed in the making of hay, and it produces a much more moist and digestible, and it absolutely smells beautiful. And you can get the compressed packs that are wrapped in plastic, but it's nothing like silage. It's got no danger of fermenting in the gut. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly tempting, very palatable, especially for horses that are ill or traveling. Uh, easy to transport, very safe, and there's absolutely no dust in it, which is part of like the feed quality you mentioned earlier. Okay. If you're, um, yeah, it's just a lovely product. Yeah. And like I said, you know, the big transporters, they that is what they transport horses on. Um, the other thing I've I've learned over the last few years is, which goes opposed to a rule I took out was that you never give horses, you never work horses straight after a feed mm-hmm. because their stomach's full. But nowadays that's changed a bit and we're actually being advised to give the horses half a biscuit of hay before riding them and to give them, it's it's like about 500 grams of hay or a small chaff feed, you know, sort of high fiber before riding them or before traveling them. And if you do it about 20 minutes before, the fibers go into the stomach and then start working into the digestive system. And then when you work them, if you're not working hard, you're not doing galloping work, then they prevent the buildup of acid, especially if the horse becomes anxious. So this is something new that's come in in the last few years, and it goes in opposed to one of the old feeding rules, which I didn't mention, which was never do fast work after. Yes. Yep. Yep. After a feed. But I use it all the time. And I've actually had five years and not one of the horses has shown sign of ulcers. Mm. And they're much mm. calmer. And I go down, I come back from work, I pop down, I give, if I'm riding, I'll give them a small half a biscuit of hay of loosen. Loosen's very good for protecting against ulcers. Okay, so loosen as in alfalfa. Um, yes, yes, alfalfa mm. in, in Europe and England. And, and it's, um, it's very good at protecting and, and helping the gut yep. and protecting against ulcers. So 
Okay. I tend to mix actually luteinol or alfalfa with a cool hay. So I've got mm-hmm. a mix, and this is what I've been advised. And I just pick a leafy or stalky hay that they have just before, and then I go back up and I get changed. I get the tack, and they're chewing away. And those um, that leafy, stalky feed in the gut tends to protect them far more. And I find I don't get the problems now at all, which is wonderful. Yeah, and yeah. feeding chaff and balances again. I've not had all the problem at all. Well, I think the the thing that you've said is as your last point is to watch you know watch your horses or your equines closely because feeding's an art. And I remember the old saying, you know, the eye of the master makes the horse fat which doesn't make sense, the eye of the master, but it's the master watching the horse all the time to be there ready for what the horses need, you know, treat them as an individual, isn't it? Yeah, Mm. and that very Mm. much, isn't it? Treat them as an individual because you go down daily and say you've got five horses out there and one or that, take the rug off and have a look and, and stand back and have a look at them. And you can tell, you can immediately tell changes of weight it shows really quickly and you think, oh, I stepped up some grain or lupins in there and because it was cold weather, I maybe increased it slightly because I knew in the cold weather they needed a little bit more. And now, it's you know, I can see that they're getting quite blooming and perhaps I don't need that as high. And I look at the energy and that is my thing. I can be driving down the track and I see the energy level of the horses. So if I see someone bolting around and bucking, the feed is out of proportion. Something's wrong. And um, it could be they're not getting enough work. Therefore, have I reduced the feed in accordance with the work? Have I raised the fibre and hay and reduced the energy feed because that one couldn't get work? Mm-hmm. And... So I'm watching energy, I watch their temperament, their eyes. When they're all meeting me at the gates and they're calm and looking hopeful, and, you know, I'm not saying kind of the odd buck and the runaround, but you don't want them hooning up and down, sweating buckets because they've got too much energy, risking injury jumping over fences. So you need to watch the energy level. Yep. And you need to take rugs off on a regular, have a look what's happening underneath and stand back and look at and be prepared to change feed. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a week of cold, wet, and the horses are living out. Be prepared to say, I'm going to give a bit more hay for a few days. And then suddenly they're all looking quite lively and they're very happy. <laughs> yep. And you say, oh, I'm maybe going to put a bit more of the teff in and I'm going to reduce that a little bit. But make, make slow changes. Don't suddenly, never suddenly change the hay for a different type suddenly change the feed. Um, my nutritionist, she always says, do it over 10 days. Well, but if I get cold weather over a couple of days, I might give them a little bit more hay. And if I'm home, I might give them a bit midday just to warm them up, keep something in their tummy. And it helps the older horses and the younger horses cope with the changes in temperature. Mm-hmm. So I've always been taught, just, and I've learned through my own experience is to step back and look, step back yep. and look. Yep. Yep. You know, and you could be picking up feed to check your feed because you never know what's going on in there mm. in a load of mud. You don't know if they've got something stuck in there. And you feel that the, the legs are a bit filled. Yep. And 
that could be hooning around too much energy, excessive feed, and oh, I'm aware of that going on. Is the those are, those are the tendency to laminitic. <laughs> you want to feel the feet when they're getting hot. Yep. Yep. And look at the crest of the neck under the under the rug. You don't want it to get that far. So I look and I'd, I'd be looking to just see a faint image of the rib the rib cage showing under a healthy shiny coat yep. that looks glowing, elastic skin, knowing the signs of dehydration. Yeah. Um, if the skin's looking taut and if you pinch it, it doesn't return with elasticity. And looking and looking, you get a real eye, don't you? Oh, I just think that advice you've given us. Eyes are being, oh, it's, and I think these things happen without realizing. And when mm. I was thinking about the podcast, I drove down to the horses the other morning and I thought, as I drive down, I'm watching mm. three of them in the distance and I see them trot up. I know their sound, I know their energy level, I know where their rugs are at. Yep. I know I've got a rough idea of what the weather is because I check the radar before I go down. I know what rugs I'm going to be keeping on or taking off and mm. what mm. what the feed level is. And I'm not afraid to change it yep. a little bit for different circumstances. And that, I think, is the art of, of feeding and general management. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that whole, you know, you've got the, the nine beforehand, but that whole... One where you you know you watch them feedings and up and you're stepping back and looking. If you can step back and look, you realise that something's either going very well, going well. You know maybe you need to ask someone a little bit more. But you know step back and look is just really good advice. I think when it comes to um, to feeding horses and probably a good one to to finish off with. Um, Joe, this has been amazing. You know, you come in with your knowledge you. you're giving us so so thank freely, you. so generously. So I've got to say thank you for that. And we certainly will, you know, even though we did talk about the Haylish, but, you know, come back and talk about it because you've got so much experience and so much of a of a variety of experience, I think, you know, and I think that's important. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. Now, Joe, if people do want to come and talk to you again, what's the best way to contact you? Um, anyone who's using Facebook, I'm happy okay. to, to private message and get in touch with me under the name Joe Hall. That's J O H O O L E. Um and my my email, which is Joe Hall ninety two at gmail dot com. I'm happy for anyone to email me. I'm happy to discuss. I think, you know, these these things are good to pass on. There's a yeah. lot of it's not all my knowledge. It's what's been collected along the way from a lot of really, really experienced people mm-hmm. who've picked it up from people experienced in the past. And, yes. And um, any questions anyone wants to ask or just, you know, debate on, just to be able to reach out, that's fine. Beautiful. Yep. I ask advice all the time. Yeah. I yeah. ask advice of people and I don't always take it set in stone. I listen. Mm-hmm. I maybe back it up with a bit of research, if I, you know, and then I make my mind up what I'm going to change, take from it, and then watch how it works. Yeah. But I'm constantly learning, 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 and, and researching and asking more advice and prepared to change an opinion yep. when something comes up. So be flexible and reach out and 
discuss something, even if it means you're going to go, no, I don't agree with that, I don't want to go that way, and that's fine, because then you've made a decision what you actually do want to do. Yeah, yeah. And those details will be on horsechats.com slash johool as well. So J-O-H-O-L-E. And, um, yeah, if you want to chat to her or contact her, feel free, and we hopefully will have her back again sometime soon. And if you've got some good ideas for her to feature a podcast around, I'm sure that she'd be happy to do that. Thanks, Joe. Um, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Glennis. Thanks Bye. for doing this. Cheers. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.